UX Podcast Episode 175. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Roy Lawson. I'm a Pan Axbom. With listeners in 172 countries, from France to Hong Kong. And today we are talking to one of my favorite thinkers, Alistair Somerville. He's a sensory design consultant, usability researcher, and workshop facilitator. Alistair joined us for a brief interview back in episode 105 about sensory design. And uh, in this show, we talk around human-centered design and how we as humans perceive everything through a lens, uh, also described in the show as a threshold when experiencing the world around us. Your workshop, Alistair, was really, really physical, uh, not only in the sense that we walked outside a lot, but also with with the work we did with the Jenga block. So as you were speaking, we were arranging uh, Jenga blocks in a way to help us understand what you were saying about spaces and the physicality of a world and how we make decisions and how we move around. It was like, it was insanely powerful. So uh, tell us more about this thing of being present in the moment, the importance of being outside and taking in the world. The Jenga blocks were purchased mm-hmm. for the later on in the workshop originally in mm-hmm. terms of using them for a model which was able to actually create a three-dimensional representation of how we perceive information Mm. and what meaning information content has Mm. um which which came out of accessibility projects which i've worked on where we've we've had to find a way of describing to people how there is a difference between how people with different sensory and cognitive capacities encounter and perceive information and how the actual sort of meaning exists and that that you need to be able to move the two things apart but when i was designing the workshop and when i was looking at the necessity of having a model to talk about how a human-centered concept of human perception works there was this issue that I, i i was looking at a workshop where there was going to be about 20 to 30 minutes of me pointing at powerpoint and people writing diagrams mm. Mm. And I knew that wasn't going to work in a sense that it was it was neither going to be interesting nor was it going to actually achieve a useful purpose in trying to guide people to understanding how being embodied in a space surrounded by information, which, yeah. I mean, the workshop was called Walking Through Information, how that sense worked. And so given I was surrounded by 11 boxes of Jenga at the time, I began to realize that there might be a way of building the diagram out of the blocks. So it was only about the last week or two that I started. Oh, so this was completely new? It was completely It was oh, about yeah. a week or two, yes. It was completely yeah. new yeah. in a sense that previously the yeah. diagrams had been literally just sort of two-dimensional diagrams. Actually, yeah. I mean, there are some 3D models yeah. which I, I worked with um, and which did sort of, um, if anyone watches my Twitter, they, they will see there are 3D models which I did build paper prototypes, mm. but they were all too complex and they were too hard to construct during a workshop. So the Jenga 
it was, I was to say, I, I already had it. So it was staring at it and thinking, actually, we can or I can easily create a diagram in the, th the blocks. Mm. And it therefore means that I can enable the participants of the workshop to build the model with me mm. and physically see the meaning of what I'm talking about. Because mm -hmm. those, the, the strongest images and the, sort of the images which most interested me was the images where people are looking through the thresholds. Exactly. Yeah, and the threshold you built mm -hmm. with the... So you basically you've made doorways yeah. um, from the Jenga mm -hmm. blocks to represent um, thresholds that and you've seen through. And we had a Lego figure to actually represent the person looking through. Yeah, so, and, I, and I thought that was... Yeah. A bit, it was a, Compared to mm -hmm. just a, a two-dimensional sketch, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a very good way of, of making you think and understand mm -hmm. about spaces because this was something then that stuck up from your paper and represented literally... a. a a portal into into somewhere else you look through the, this idea that we're, we're we're permanently moving through information whether be the information be in a threshold which is a physical doorway and you know in a physical space or whether it be a threshold which is framed as a device in our hand mm. you know it, it doesn't you know it's, it's all perception it doesn't matter but humans move through these thresholds they look for information they look for meaning mm -hmm. and they choose to go through and again that sort of whole idea of the figure moving through mm -hmm. moving across the table moving through the spaces of information that that was what i was trying to get at because mm -hmm. sort of most of the way in which the two-dimensional use of post-it notes the two-dimensional use of diagrams doesn't truly represent a useful way of explaining embodied movement through information mm. and so yes it's but it was it was very very late on in the process of designing the workshop that it came to me it was also i think forcing us to slow down and actually take in the information because it was like you could have walked us through it in powerpoint in in five minutes uh, basically but it was like you talked one minute then we worked for two minutes on the blocks then you talked to, so we were really really focusing on what you were saying and, and really by, by it being represented in 3D as well, really understanding it, I would not have understood it as well if you had just uh, told us about it, obviously. But that was an amazing experience, actually. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> well, There's one, uh, one, one thing that was interesting, uh, many things interesting, but one thing I, I took away from um, working on the, uh, looking at the workshop was how it doesn't immediately come across as as something practically useful so, so, so mm -hmm. the exercise of, of, yeah. of like exploring spaces um when you think about your work anyway like you explore these spaces and then making a 3d diagram of, of portals and thresholds um that that didn't immediately come across as something i can apply to my work but what i did find incredibly refreshing and, and enlightening was the 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 practicing being in the moment practicing going out and exploring spaces so so heightening my curiosity and and observation skills that was maybe a bit more unexpected from mm -hmm. from the workshop so used to workshop delivering concrete skills concrete this is this is the thing you now apply mm -hmm. to your um to your daily work in general i i mostly warn people that no workshop anyone comes to with me will be of use to them mm -hmm at work on Monday <laughs> after the conference. Um, and and that's fine, because for the most part, mm. most conferences have a habit of teaching people 
tools and processes which are relevant to the work process and relevant to the workplace on Monday. I try to operate in a slightly different space in the sense that I'm trying to talk to people about their individual sense of themselves to change their sense mm. of how they exist mm. and how they think about how they are in order that then they can go back and share that sense of being with other mm. people so it's it's and that's why that you you have these things like sending people out to just listen to the waves and kick the leaves around and all the rest of it because for the most part, people don't have time for that because it's it's not part... I mean, it's a really important part of being human, and yet it's not something which is part of most work processes. So you've um, got to find time, and work, you know, you know, this is one of the reasons mm. I do conference workshops. It's a good time to give people time mm. to do the things that matter but don't have value as far as corporations are concerned. Yeah, my, my favourite slide um, from the presentation was the, the be like the dog. Yes, mm. I mean, be, a, be more like the dog. The, the sort of, yes, the, the photo. I mean, that was a, again when I was doing the reconnaissance walks the day before to try and work out where where people could go. Um, yes, I, I was following um, this guy, and it was very clear he was just staring at his phone, but his dog was just wandering around, sniffing, kicking the gravel, all the things. The, the, the dog taking was in, in the moment of experience, mm. taking in the environment, mm. while the man was distracted by his mobile. And it's that, mm. that thing of, can you actually recapture the sense of being a person in an environment? Because you need that baseline of being in the world before you can start talking about how the overlays of information that we place both badly and well, into the environment work. So are you saying that we're forgetting to be human, almost? I find that we are minimizing the experience of what it is to be human mm -hmm. because by minimizing what it is to be human, it enables us to test products more cheaply. Because if you if you reduce humans only to tool users, therefore you are able to ignore large swathes of what it is actually to be a human being. Mm. So this delimitation of um, of what it is to be human means that we, we it's it's a very inward looking sense, and it's it's creating. And I, I, I do find, I mean, certainly the more I work on a lot of the perception and sensing stuff, that the world of what it is to be human is vast, extraordinarily vast, and that was one of the end themes of yesterday's workshop. Um, and that's that, that we really need to properly consider our humanity. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like we're... They, they, we've, we've made it we've made it simple for ourselves to, to survive in, in some of our working environments that it, it's just too complex sometimes. So, so some of these narrowing, it's, it's a narrowing strategy to, 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 to allow us to get through. The oh, day. it's, it's, uh, you know, and again, it's, it's an, it's an entirely practical mm. response to the way in which design and uh, UX and all these mm. events, service design all, are all viewed within the context of corporate product mm. management and corporate 
product creation that's mm. that the messy things to do with user research to do with research before product the the things to do with agile in terms of are you asking the right question mm-hmm. um, all of these things which 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 are messy and difficult to fund and therefore some the reaction is to to reduce them down in order to minimize friction with other parts yeah. of the departments of the corporation and yet in in each of those tiny steps back you start building a wall between what it is that you are testing as a user and what you are testing as a human mm, exactly and we're so focused on interfaces usually forgetting about the thresholds in between them but also forgetting that humans are so used to shifting between ways of looking at the world i think that's one of your one of your core messages that i took away from it was we 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 constant context shift all the time constantly and, and this is something that we don't really think about when we're, when we're designing uh, yeah i mean it, when when i wanted to reframe mm-hmm. to the human focused and human-centered mm. uh, perspective on information. The reason I want to do that was because I, I, I keep seeing all of these diagrams and all of these sort of discussions of the sort of the, the massive complexity of information in terms of what we have both now and what we're looking at in terms of you know, augmented and virtual realities and all the rest and mixed realities. And yet, from a human perspective, these kind of apparently impossible situations is something that humans have done forever yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of moving between that book you're reading that daydream you're having that walk you go on that um, phone you look at these these are all switches between different forms of reality mm. and we choose and we have good choice, choice mm. systems we manage it mm. From a human perspective, this this is this is quite normal. We adapt, we yeah. change. I, I was also thinking, you you brought up um, yes, yesterday the um, the notion of um, um, was it um, hyper reality? Hypo reality. Yeah, hyper reality, um, and that made me think a lot about how we spend we spend most of our time um, <coughs> adding information elements, so adding interface elements or information um, signage and so on to things to try and make them more understandable. So we, we're, we're adding, making things m- more to try and communicate better. Um, uh, was when you started talking about uh, hyper-reality um, where you, you, you take, potentially take things away. So I started wondering about the future of design, that some of the f- aspects of future design would be maybe helping blur, so it's helping tone things down. That would, you, you, you would take away things to make it more understandable. Yes, I mean, I, I you know I have um, many friends who who use um, different forms of headphones and different forms of coloured lens, sort of analog solutions to actually adjust their um, perception of the world mm, right. because they, they 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 need to control and have con- a sense of control and agency over how how they see and perceive the world around them because mm. it's too loud it's too bright mm. and therefore you already you know there, there are many many 
ways in which people are already doing this. To some extent, it's just that those purposes and those people, for the most part, these, these are people um, with cognitive impairments, they're not viewed, well, they're not seen by the industry, and therefore that, that, that there is a whole behavior area of you know ways in which we deal with this and ways in which we manage this, mm -hmm. which which are just the design industry is you know, is unaware of, and yeah. yet it's it's there, mm. and it will become probably more important over time. Yeah. And now I've suddenly thought of an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, episode of Black Mirror where they they effectively use um, uh, augmented reality or or uh, reality to to block people. Mm. The, you, basically, if someone, oh, someone okay. basically, you can you get angry with mm. them, mm. and you basically mute them, and they mm. you, they can't you can't see them or hear them or anything. They become just basically a white whited out figure <laughs> um, in their world. Yeah, it's like there's um, there's China Mielville's novel, mm. The City in the City, mm. which which is a nice. I mean, it's it's a detective novel, but it's it's a novel which is mm. nice because it's it talks of a city. Well, it talks of two cities where, who are very close to each other and which people travel between, and they're different cities. But, and there is a spoiler warning in this, um, <laughs> but actually they all live in the same city. It's just the two groups of people dress in different forms of clothing and they are trained from birth not to see people wearing certain types of clothing. Uh, huh. the two cities literally physically are co-located but the populations cannot see each other they cannot perceive each other it's a beautiful conceit that's scary it is yes it's similar to when yeah. you think about um, multiple dimensions mm. so so if you get into like, like fifth dimensions mm. and so on where mm. there can be beings existing mm. on a dimension that we aren't mm. we can't perceive yes i mean yeah. sort of the intersectionalities mm. i mean there's there's a whole area of um, stuff which got cut from the workshop to do with homological um, space, um, mm. which is which is a much larger sense of um, information design over mm. space and um, time, um, which which got deleted because it would be too much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that was probably a sensible decision. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting, but it is it is something. Um, which, which, um, it's it's a way of actually reframing a lot of the way we think about information by mm. actually really understanding how it, how objects and artifacts move through time, mm. um, and it's. Uh, but yes, too much for three hours. Yeah, mm. I, th I think so. So, in in a sense, you're not part of the UX design industry, uh, and in a big sense, you really are as well because you're constantly being invited by the UX industry to speak. Why do you think that is? And if you put your critical glasses on, what is your perception of the UX industry? I mean, I came across the UX industry, what, 2013, um, and sort of have sort of been working with projects and um, with companies and, uh, yes, and certainly in conferences mm. um, since then. Um, I think on on one level, I'm invited along because simply because I mean I do because I come out of sensory and accessibility design, 
um, I do have very, very strong opinions on what being human-centered actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondarily, I think it's because I'm also both willing to and to a certain extent now permitted to talk and workshop through subjects that have no meaningful benefit in the next two (laughs) weeks of people's careers and yet I get feedback from people months down the line Mm. telling me that they actually understood what I was trying to get at Mm. in a sense that I, I don't want to talk about and I can't talk about um, practical process and stuff because I don't work with the, you know, I do not work in the industry in that sense. But I intersect with it enough to be able to know the sort of issues which are around and the mm. sort of tools. Um, and I'm therefore aware of where there are gaps because I'm, I am from a slightly askew angle on the whole thing. And therefore I'm interested in trying to describe the spaces which look like they will be something the industry will be coming across at some point in the next two years. Yeah. And that's that's mostly what I try, and that's, I mm. think, why, therefore, I get invited to do conferences, mm. is I'm willing to put people through experiential workshops because I believe experiential is the way to be able to yeah. make people and enable people to understand you know I need people to understand the thing themselves I can't just tell people they need to actually live the experience to understand what the heck's going on um, and then I'm allowed to do weird crap mm. um, <laughs> I am permitted because yeah. because I'm I am known for doing it. Therefore, mm. there, there, therefore, there is a relationship mm. in that sense that I'm, I can go and make people go for walks. Mm. I can have people play with Jenga in mm. a way that, that you know, many people probably are not permitted. True. Um, because, because there is this sense that the process and the tool must be mm. concretely connected to work process as it exists now and that 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 very very specific connection to it has to be locked against what we are already doing means that the industry can only move very very incrementally forward on certain subjects yet sometimes you actually need to be able to bound over to be able to say but the space you're entering is extraordinarily huge and we at least need to have some mm. idea of what that space might be you know a lot of the time you know i don't have answers on a lot of this stuff mm. but at least people may have a better way of considering the possibilities i think you're actually allowing us to understand ourselves better and the world we're in better ourselves as humans allowing us then to make these leaps when we have to in the industry now we need to start looking at it this way because now we've done done this already now we need to start looking at it in another way mm. i think that lasting impression is is really what what <laughs> i love about what you do it's, it's fantastic thank you so much for sitting down with us alistair certainly thank you during the interview of alistair we we, we mentioned the um 
the wonderful picture he, he took um, and actually incorporated into his um, slides that about um, um, yeah be the dog. Um, oh yeah, the dog. Uh, but uh, I want to give a bit more. Uh, I want to describe that a little bit more to to the listeners that um, Alistair being Alistair, he was wandering around um, in the area surrounding the hotel that the that Euroia conference was was being held at, and he'd spotted a man. And this was a man walking his dog. And the the dog was having a really good sniff. It was it was sniffing everything around it. It was it was taking in the world that it was experiencing and, and, and giving the world time to, to to share its experiences. And of course the dog's connected by a lead to its owner. And the man he's stood by the side of the dog, waiting for his dog. Um but he's just staring at his telephone. In the actual picture, you can see that there's there's a there's a path, there's a gravel path, there's a curb, there's a bush, there's of course a dog, um, there's a, a small boat, there's a, there's a there's a waterway, um, there's a railing, there's a rock face, there's a I think there's even a there's a building or it might even be um, there's I think it's an office building in the background or in a high raised bridge. There's a there's a car. There's so much mm. going on in this picture. Mm. The guy's looking into his telephone. So Alistair um, put some labels on this and there's a big arrow sign that says, don't be this, pointing to the man. Be the dog, pointing to the dog. And and just that one picture though, I mm. think, um, it sums up so much of what Alistair was trying to, or is teaching and, and um, trying to get us to understand. Yeah, I agree. It's It's amazing. And that's what he really forced us to do, to actually be the dog and, and go out and listen to sounds in a way that you usually don't do and look around smell listen uh, look at colors listen to things the sizes of different things it's it's just uh it's so there's so much we miss uh that is going on out there and i and the funny thing about what what one of you i listen to the subtext sort of what alistair is saying he's almost mocking us because you're calling yourself a human-centered designer as a ux designer but i mean you almost have no idea of what human-centered is because you're working with these screens and these interfaces, but you don't exactly. work with the whole complete human being. So he's he's, he's saying uh, he's looking two years into the future, and he, he's he's looking at this is where you have to go. So he's preparing us for that movement towards understanding humans yeah, we've got the, in a more the broad the sense. User experience designers, and we're talking about users. And as Alice has said about we've we've reduced um, humans to users. And and we've cut off our senses. We've we've boxed ourselves mm. in, um, and to do human-centered design, you have to be a more human designer. And part of being a more human designer mm. is properly considering the 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 real world exactly. around you, understanding well, understanding what it means to be human. Because the danger is that we're forgetting when we're categorizing people into these or compartmentalizing them into these groups. We're forgetting what it means to be a human with the full experience of what is going on throughout the day. And, and people have these thresholds. They're filtering out some stuff, looking at other stuff. Uh, I, I was thinking of, actually, there's a, been a campaign in Sweden where you have uh, ADHD children who want to wear baseball caps right. inside. Inside, uh, inside schools. And usually that's considered, yeah. that's considered rude, usually. Uh, in in most Western cultures, but for them, for the for the people who are struggling in school or the children who are struggling in school, wearing these that it helps them filter out parts of their environment that keep them from concentrating well. So in my reality, wearing a baseball cap indoors may be perceived as rude, but in 
their reality. It's a coping mechanism to manage their life. And we need to be able to see these differences in how we approach reality and what we are experiencing differently as different yeah. individuals. Going throughout a day and going through your city, you're, you're seeing different stuff depending on who you are. Usually people just ignore and filter out aspects of city life like the homeless people or the people who are trying to sell you stuff, things that you think are for tourists. And we're filtering out stuff all the time. But sometimes we're, we can become uh, conscious of them if somebody forces us to. Yes, exactly. And by uh, in Alice's workshop, mm. when he, he forced us to create portals, mm. thresholds, um, related to um, a, a world close by to us. So, so then we, we went outside and, and experienced those portals and thresholds um, in, in real life. So, you know, the group I followed, um, we went into the hotel, we went outside the hotel, but then made our way back into the hotel because we were going to, we were going to have lunch was the, was the task that we, mm. we tried to follow. So then each time you go through one of the portals, whether it's the door to the hotel or the, um, the door into the restaurant and so on, you really kind of think about what happens, what am I, what am I, what information am I taking in? What information do I need at this point in order to make it successfully through the portal? Right. And there's hap- things happening between the portals as well, and you're, you may take up your phone, and that becomes a portal. So, I mean, it's it's just all those, what you might call them touch points. I don't know if we can use other, other stuff that we can relate to, but I think you mentioned that. Yeah, well, it seems, mm. um, yeah, we talked to mm. um, uh, Andrea Sitmimini in um, episode 144. Yeah. We, he, he talked a lot about uh, cross-channel mm. ecosystems, and he, and he mentioned thresholds, of course, mm. but he also talked about seams, exactly. where thresholds touch each other mm. uh, but that's that's i think it's similar to what i was saying with portals and thresholds that they they you know you go from one space into another space mm. and, and, and just that i mean that what alistair did was he actually created uh, a portal for us within the workshop because he, he works with experiential workshops he made the workshop very physical he made the participants a part of the presentation so if we didn't do our part in the presentation as he was moving along the presentation couldn't continue so we were learning what he was doing to us, he was designing the workshop so that we would be able to understand the information better uh, by using our senses more. And I think that's mm. what we need to take away as designers, that we can do what Alistair does in designing experiences as well, using more of what it is to be human. Yeah, I, I, I love the whole um, kind of res- reverse thinking mm. of some of this, because we, we focus so much on kind of like, um, I suppose, Pimping, you know, puffing up and, and making experiences more delightful, mm. kind of more exciting, exhilarating, um, entertaining, all these things. Um, whereas Alison talks about de-augmenting, so, so, so reducing, so you can allow focus. Like you said mm. about, um, you know, maybe putting the cap on um, to help you focus or, or um, you put kind of noise-canceling headphones on to reduce noise so you can actually focus on what you're, on the person you're actually here, you know, trying to talk to or trying to listen to. There's, there's ways in which we, we could work better maybe as designers to, well, reduce noise mm. um, in designs in order to um, allow people to, to survive, I guess, survive experiences. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if if this caught your interest and you uh, consider attending one of Alistair's workshops, which I really, uh, really recommend, then he will also be joining the UXLX 2018 conference taking place May 22 to 25 in lovely Lisbon. You will have heard us talking before on the podcast about UXLX. No. <laughs> <laughs> you may even meet us there. Well, we're going to be there, so that's that's a good chance of it. 
We also, there's also some additional content um, from our um, chat with Alistair. We recorded um, a special event clip called Journey Number oh, Six. Yeah, of course. Um, where we, we geek out mm. a little bit on, um, on, on, on one of these um, experiential journeys mm. uh, to do with taking bus number 53 from the hotel into town. It's, it's, it's really good fun to listen to. And I've added the book that Alistair mentioned to my uh, winter reading list, The City and the City by China Mievel as well. We'll add that to the show notes. So thank you for joining us today. Um, as Perz has mentioned, we will have show notes um, from this episode on the website, uxpodcast.com. They should also be available in your podcast client. Um, if you aren't already a subscriber to us, then please add us to your podcasting client of choice. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Rudolph. Rudolph who? Money is the Rudolph all evil. Oh. It's not even Christmas.